Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well. I think Zoom must have updated recently because every time you start the recording of the show, I get like this robot voice that just says recording in progress. I didn't get that before. I think it's funny because it's like I hear that on top of you doing the intro because you record and then immediately go into it. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, when uh, there was there's been a couple Zoom recordings in, in yep. the past where uh, I've heard that, but like I never imagined it on your on your end because I'm always pressing the record button, but yeah, mm-hmm. very, very, it, it's a interesting combination to have. Yeah, it is. Two collaborations of energy. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, interesting weekend of baseball. Uh, definitely, definitely uh, some news you wouldn't expect. You know, there, I would say, you know, Thursday night, we got something that uh, we would expect as baseball fans some greatness we would expect you know in terms of um, just great moments and you know Saturday night just uh, you know that's the fun thing about about no hitters is you know it's always just it always just starts out randomly and uh, you never know it's going to happen uh, that's what that's what makes uh, no hitters and perfect games kind of or even like four home run games and cycles it's what kind of makes them uh, interesting because it's just an ordinary baseball day uh, by other means. But uh, I guess we'll start out with the no hitter that took place Saturday for those unaware. Um, I mean, the story has been go- gone over a thousand times since it since it happened. First career MLB start for Tyler Gilbert. He no hits the San Diego Padres. No slouch of a lineup. Not not the uh, Rangers, uh, not the Rangers, Indians or Mariners, who have been no-hit multiple times this season, this was the Padres that uh, were no-hit. Uh, but also, you know, as uh, analytical people, it's sometimes hard for, for us to enjoy these types of no-hitters. Uh, you know, we're, we're not going to give you the – we're not the show that's going to give you the cliche sort of story about it was his first MLB start and he was out of baseball for a while and he's come back and he's no-hit the San Diego Padres. You've kind of heard that a thousand times, but what what were uh, what were your thoughts on the Tyler Gilbert uh, historic no hitter? I mean, I think it is cool that he did do it. Like, it is a cool story, and I think we should touch on it because I mean, he was a Rule Five pick who came from a division rival. Who, you know, he came out this night. No one had really heard of him before. Uh, I had only heard his name a couple of times. Didn't really think much of it, and you know, here he is no hitting one of the better lineups in baseball. Oh, absolutely! Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shame a, a guy. This guy for, actually like, sucks. Don't don't pay attention to anything you're seeing in the media. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Uh, Tyler Gilbert. I'm not gonna go completely in that direction. I mean, I feel really, really happy for this individual. Yeah. Um, you know, a real underdog story, uh, someone who you know it, kind of a a longer. Uh, yeah. Kind, you know, a longer trip into Major League Baseball. He was drafted six years ago, and uh, and you know he's found his way onto a Major League Ball Club, and I feel really happy for him in particular. But uh, you know, every, everyone does, and that's the same old story from everyone. Uh, and it's things like these are making me realize I'm I, I might be becoming a bad I might be becoming a bad baseball fan. Who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics because say, Chris, uh, why don't you get into everything because so I, I it, it made me reflect because this has been a year of many no hitters obviously it's been probably one of the themes of 2021 when we look back at 2021 
it's probably going to be, you know, Shohei Otani, the Sticky Substance Saga, and no hitters probably is what I'm thinking of. Uh, and maybe fans coming back in the stadium, maybe that also. But uh, I feel like that'll, as we go on, it'll be like, it won't be that as big of a deal. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this is the seventh individual no-hitter. So if if I, as an analytical baseball fan going into advanced statistics, if I am to abandon the idea of uh, batting average, why am I to really celebrate no-hitters this way, especially like the, the combined no-hitters with eight walks? Am I to say that's a great historic performance? I don't really know. I mean, the, the combined no-hitter had like eight walks in it. You know, that's a that's an oak. It's a below average on base percentage, but it's like a 250 on base percentage that the Dodgers had that night. So if I if I if I'm to abandon batting average, why am I to say that uh, this? You know, uh, Tristan McKenzie yesterday he took a perfect game into the eighth innings. He only allowed one base runner in those eight innings. I think that might be a more impressive uh, might be a more impressive uh, outing. Than, uh, than Tyler Gilbert on Saturday. By the way, I feel great for the guy. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's incredible, it's an incredible night for him that he'll never forget. But, you know, am I? How am I to say that uh, that what McKenzie did was not more impressive um, than what Gilbert did on uh, on Saturday night? And also, uh, the the baseball savant, uh, the baseball savant. Uh, angle of it also so actually as we'll delve into the numbers here i have uh, some numbers pre prepared so this was the most expected batting average in a no hitter this year uh that includes all eight so far um not in, I, I didn't look at the um at the seven inning one uh back in april with madison bumgarner but uh, it's probably it's probably less yeah uh this had a 242 expected batting average and by the way a 242 expected batting average in 25 at bats, which is what uh, the amount of at bats against Gilbert on Saturday night. That's the amount of uh, at bats he had against him. Uh, a 242 expected batting average in, in 25 at bats is 6.05 expected hits. Uh, that's a lot. Also, uh, fittingly, six batted balls uh, against Gilbert on Saturday night had an expected batting average of 560 or more, and uh, five batted balls against Gilbert on Saturday night had an exit velocity of a hundred or higher. So, you know, I, I hate to bring up these numbers. I really do. I genuinely feel bad about myself doing these things, but I can't like, I, I can't be an analytical purist and someone who completely enjoys these, um, these, you know, great moments because I just look at this in a, if we're to, if we're to prop up Babbitt and talk about how, like, you know, sometimes guys get lucky, sometimes guys get unlucky. If we're to do that, then I can't fully appreciate a no hitter the way I used to. I think someone's just mad that their take went down like this. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, congratulations to Tyler Gilbert. What an incredible story. A great night of his uh, absolutely dominant pitching performance. He was getting guys out left and right, carving up that San Diego lineup. They had no idea what to do with themselves up there at the plate against Tyler Gilbert in his first major league start. Yeah, they were just, you know, you talk about unhittable. Yeah, that was Tyler um, Gilbert. But you understand where I'm coming from a little bit. I do. They were, like you mentioned, they were more... Padres uh, batted balls with a 560 expected batting average or higher than there were Padres strikeouts. Yeah, yeah, and as as many 100 mile an hour hit baseballs uh, than than strikeouts. So yeah, if I if if we're if if we as a baseball community are going to prop up FIP, uh, you know, expected batting average, also uh, BABIP as you know a, a marker of luck factor so that means that uh that the padres were 0 for 20 on batted balls in play obviously all no hitters are going to have balls in play that's just a fact but uh i mean 
at, you know, a 242 expected batting average on the night. I think the league average batting average is right around 242. Yep. Uh, so it's like, yeah, if, if we're to prop up, um, if, if personally, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone. If I'm to prop up a uh, batting average, you know, why am I to celebrate uh, something with, you know, a few, uh, a performance with a few base runners? Perfect games are, are obviously awesome, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think Tristan McKenzie's performance on, on Sunday probably was a little, uh, a little better than, uh, I bet. I mean, Gilbert's. McKenzie probably had a, a better game score. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Think- I'll check that. Um, I think the bigger takeaway, let me, let me fix this take up for you to make it sound better while still pr- providing the same message. Tristan McKenzie had a 91 game score yesterday. Uh, I think the takeaway from this game is that this isn't nearly as concerning for the Padres lineup as it may seem. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what the takeaway from this, because I don't want to take away from the no hitter. It's a cool feat. It's a great story, but looking at it from the Padres perspective, you know, yes, they got no hit and they have been struggling recently, but that game individually shouldn't be as concerning for the team as it may seem because of their hit column. Yeah, there should be no Padres fans out there saying like, "I can't believe we got no hit by this." By this, you uh, can believe you can you cannot believe it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, okay, is he still at an eighty-nine game score? That's still really good. But McKenzie also had a ninety-one. Okay. Um. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't think Padres fans should be like, you know, I'm extremely disappointed in this offense right now because of their performance against this uh, rookie in his first MLB start. Nah, they actually actually hit the ball pretty well, uh, you know, for a no-hitter. They had six expected yeah, hits. Yeah, overall, it still wasn't a great game for them. Yeah, six hits and, and – or six expected hits and in nine innings is still not amazing. But, uh, you know, it, it was like an average night for their offense peripherally. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean – I'm not going to, I'm not going to win out over many people with that, but that's just my point of view. It's, it's like an analytic analytical or advanced stats uh, purist is like, I I can't really. Joe Musgrove pitched five innings and almost had more swings and misses. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And I don't mind, you know, if, if Gilbert went out and had, you know, if Gilbert was out there, like, um, you know, getting crazy soft contact where guys just didn't know what to do and maybe had one walk, you know, that's that's a different story. But Padres were hitting the ball. They had uh, a 38.7% well. hard hit rate. And again, I should repeat myself. I feel very good for this individual, uh, Tyler Gilbert. He's like, this is the best moment of his life. It's also I, cool for the Diamondbacks to have this in a completely lost season. Yeah, it's it's great for everything, and that's why I hate to crap all over this uh, the way I am because, I, and I honestly do hate to do it. It's not even a facetious. Well, Chris, thing Chris do you do you do you hate to do it though? I actually do because okay, okay. I, and I, I, know, I feel like you haven't said it enough. I don't appreciate myself thinking this way but it's just how i it's just how i how i'm wired and i had to get it out and it's also it's not it's not a take you're going to hear from a, a regular old show on a mlb network or anything i mean listen like the reality is like baseball is a game of luck like there is nobody like very 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 rarely is one you know is someone's luck perfect with how they're actually performing you know like there's going to be like part, you know part of the game is line drives that go right at people. You know, you can't control where you hit the ball most of the time. Part of the game is, you know, soft contact that results in hits. You know, n- nothing's ever going to be, nothing's ever going to play out the exact way it should on paper. And that was the case to a bit of an extreme with this game. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, every no-hitter we've covered this year has had batted balls with expected batting average of 500 or better. Um, I think and- John Means only had like one, and it was the very last one. Yeah, and and you know you you don't even need Statcast for this. There's never been a 27 strikeout no hitter where the expected batting average was zero. <laughs> any any uh, no hitter with any expected uh, any no hitter with any batted balls in play uh, has an expected batting average above zero. So 
you know, everyone's going to have a, a little luck go their way. But, you know, this is, as you said, this is kind of a, an extreme example. But overall, you know, good performance uh, from the guy. And, uh, you know, I wish him, I wish him all the best uh, in his Absolutely. future endeavors. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Cause, cause it was the seventh no hitter. I think that's what pushed me over the edge. This is the seventh no hitter. And, uh, you know, and by the way, perfect game. Uh, you know, McKenzie took his into the eighth. We haven't had one in, in nine years. So it kind of shows the, uh, it the shows how special closest, a perfect game is. It's the second closest we've gotten all year too. Um, yeah. Per, oh, cause of, uh, Carlos Rodon. Yeah, against that very same Indians team that Tristan McKenzie almost brought there. Right, right. Yeah, by the way, Musgrove, uh, no hits and gets no hit against. Uh, yeah. There's some tweet out there saying he was like one of – like I think one of yeah, Sarah people. Lang's had it. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Hugh Daly, otherwise known as One Arm Daly. <laughs> yeah. We had no idea that was his nickname because we've, we've known of Hugh Daly for, you know, plenty of time. We oh, yeah, Hugh Daly. Daily. Yeah, Hugh Daly. If you want to read more about uh, him, go to the deadballdigest.wordpress.com. <laughs> uh, 1884, 1884, Year of the Workforce, where we talk about, where I, I talk about Hugh Daly and him having the strikeout per nine record for about 70 years, I believe, after his uh, 1884 season. I mean, wow. no one was uh no, no one was able to be within and now it's like 300th all time yeah yeah you know 8.7 strikeouts per nine is uh below league average now but back in 1884 he was he was untouched you know, he was almost getting a guy per inning he was randy johnson at yeah. that point um so yeah shout out to hugh daly shout out to bobo hallman shout out to bumpus jones uh all those guys also had no hitters Theodore. in the first career. Theodore, MLB last starts. name I can't pronounce. Yeah. I forget the fourth one. It was you know. Theodore and then some last name that I can't pronounce. It started with a B. Yeah, he's a, he's he's the bass player of that band. No offense to bass players, but they never get the love. Um, all right. So uh, if, Theodore, uh, if, if the audience still wants to listen after I've totally squashed theodore the, breitenstein the shout out to theodore breitenstein who in 1891 in his first start he started one game that year uh we don't have game logs for it unfortunately unless you go to retro sheet ah oh retro sheet interesting I'm, I'm assuming i'm assuming it was gotten like they got it from the elias sports bureau yeah prob- but, uh, probably like i can't like i don't know like i don't i'm not super familiar with retro sheet i've only used it in like a handful of times but i don't know if you can like search by no hitters and first career starts in that um yeah it, it's it, those things are tough to find on mm-hmm. on you know the uh the, the place where the places where you can get it where the where the entire public can get it not just the uh, special uh organizations that can go out and get these types of statistics it's what separates us from uh places like mlb network yep uh you know we can we can go on Stathead all we want but we cannot find who had uh no hitters in their first mlb starts ever um in the 1890s not going to be able to do that unfortunately um so if uh if, if anyone is uh still listening after i completely destroyed the romantic side of Tyler Gilbert's no hitter, which it was, I mean, it was, it's an, it is truly an amazing story. And as sports journalists, we can't deny that. I mean, that's just amazing what happened, but uh, I mean, it's a, it's a one in a million thing that really happened truly for many, for many reasons. That's what, what I'll leave off on. Um, the, uh, the other amazing thing to happen since our last episode, we, we previewed it in the last episode um, we did not expect the fire, you know, literal fireworks to happen the way that they did. Uh, I personally missed it live. I only saw like highlights on Twitter because of because I needed to see Mac Jones uh, in action. But 
uh, Daniel was able to watch the Field of Dream game, Field of Dreams game, the most uh, most watched regular season game in 16 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go over go over the the whole experience of watching yeah. this uh, on uh, on TV. I mean, it was one of the more entertaining. Like, obviously, I watched a ton of baseball, but this is one of the more entertaining experiences I've had watching you know, a game just based on broadcast, like, you know, like they had the, like the early 1900s style, like mini scoreboard on the TV, you know, the logos and everything. First of all, like that was all very cool. Uh, the ceremony that they had at the beginning with Kevin Costner walking out of the, of the cornfields and then like just bopping around the field for like two minutes to get the shallow center before all the players emerge from the corn. Like that was that gave me chills. That was the greatest ceremony I've ever seen before any baseball game. I think it's the best one that's happened in our lifetime. I think the only one in history that can compete with that one is when they brought Ted Williams out before the 1999 All-Star game. Uh, that was obviously not in our lifetimes. We would be born a year later. But, right. I mean, that image was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, yeah, I was, I remember I was, like, looking something up. I was looking up a stat while watching it, and as soon as I saw, like Costner walking around, I had to I had to close my computer, man. Like I had to stop everything to watch it. It was really really cool. They had Costner. He made like a little speech on the field beforehand, where he finished up by saying, "Is this heaven?" And the entire crowd in unison yelled, "No, it's Iowa." Like that. Like as as. Should I say it? Yeah, I'm gonna say it. As corny as it was, it was like. They milked the crap out of it, but it was awesome. It was so cool. And, yeah. you know, they really, MLB really did capitalize on the way that they, the A, the way that they choreographed that whole ceremony where, like, they had the music going. Kevin Costner looked out to the corn at the perfect moment right before all the players emerged from the corn. They obviously had to rehearse that. Like, there's no way that it happened spontaneously like that. It was all just, it was all so perfect. Uh, and then the game itself. I knew that I figured they would probably juice the balls a little bit because, you know, the whole appeal of the game was home runs going into the cornfields. Like, can you imagine if it was like a 3-2 game where like all the runs were scored on like sack flies and RBI singles? Like no one wants that. Yeah. There were, I think there were eight home runs hit total. Uh, so let's see. Aaron Judge hit two. Uh, Eloy hit one. Jose Abreu hit one. Stanton hit one. Gardner hit one. Uh, Zebby Zavala hit one, and then obviously Tim Anderson hit the walk off. Yeah, uh, the the game itself was great. the The White Sox gave up a seven to three lead, or a seven to four lead in the ninth. Uh, the Yankees took the lead, and then immediately the White Sox walked it off. Like the game itself was perfect. Yeah, it would it would have been funny, by the way, if uh, you know, a fan, a fan got a a ball and they took a picture and it was like, why does this, why does this baseball say 2017 world series on it? It's like they, <laughs> they took out, they took out the old, the old 17ers from the world yeah. series. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. We got, we got to bring these out for the corn. Yeah. The I mean, corn you game. can't, you can't risk just no home runs being hit at that game at that site. Yeah. Imagine, <laughs> imagine a no hitter and, and well, actually the no hitter would be cool. But like a, a two hit shutout. <laughs> yeah, like people like the first thing people thought was like I need to see home runs going into the corn, and we got it. Yeah, we got, definitely got it. Got plenty of it. I mean, they they did choose two good lineups to have that uh to have that be a possibility. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah. Especially with Andrew Heaney, the ex FIP Lord on the mound. Yeah, the Yankees probably had someone else scheduled, and they were like. We're gonna need Heaney to go out. We're gonna there. need Heaney. We sorry. Do your thing. Three Give me the left. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, everything. Yeah, everything on the uh, internet. I was seeing. I was like, dang, it's it's tough. It's tough to miss uh, a night like this, as a as someone who considers himself a, a big baseball fan. But I was I was watching football in a semi excited. Gillette Stadium, watching an old quarterback battle. Um, good night, though. The, the, think... the, the great Alex Ricard was there. Oh, nice, nice. Um, so, I, I was I tweeted this, but I was thinking like, 
MLB did a really good job of just running with the theme of the whole thing. Like, you know, they're having, having Tom Verducci wearing like a straw hat with like, with like knickers and, and like all that whole outfit, you know, having John Smoltz do the same thing, like, and having the old style broadcast and having the wooden scoreboard, like MLB ran with the idea of, of, uh, of the old, of the old time baseball game. And they did a really good job of, of sticking to that theme. I think we need to figure out a way to do that with like all-star games. Yeah, it, it would be um, interesting to do that. And yeah, we're, we're big fans of uh, throwing it back with the, uh, with the like dead ball era type, type course, jerseys or even like, like 20s okay. and 30s. Like next year's all-star game is in LA. And I know that they usually do some sort of all-star game things where like, you know, in Cleveland, they did like the promos with all the players with the guitars. Like that was cool, but like incorporate that into the game somehow. Like the all-star game has kind of been not as fun to watch. It's more just like a regular game with, with a couple of little things here and there that aren't that exciting. Like run with the theme of, of having the, like in LA next year, Hollywood themed, like beach themed, do whatever you need to do to, to run with the theme of, of LA next year. Yeah. At least like with the player, when you have the player's last names, have it in like the, hollywood sign font or like have mm-hmm. it angled like the hollywood sign uh, yeah yeah just an idea floating around but... i was I, so i was brainstorming for the last few days and i think i think one thing we should do is uh when they present the the all-star game mvp they should do it oscar style where it's like and the and the all-star game mvp goes to they like to open the envelope there's like four finalists and it's vladimir guerrero jr All yeah. right. That'd do be that great idea that'd be a fun idea um i don't know what else have you do you have any ideas for for a possible la all-star game theme like i, mean, I think, the I, think scoreboard, I think the scoreboard should be like like the mini scoreboard on the broadcast should be like they have like the stars for each like like inside each of like the scores where it's like if, if the score is like six three you have a star inside the six inside the three for like hollywood um right yeah that... each team like i mentioned earlier yeah, that would be a good idea um, with the if they if they kind of committed to the city hosting it. Um, it would be interesting. I mean, I think what made this uh, what made this past Thursday's game like extremely special is uh, the fact that like you don't see Major League Baseball in Iowa ever. Obviously, they don't, yeah. there's not a team there. Um, so, you know, they definitely committed to the. Uh, the Hollywood or you know not the literal Hollywood side of it but the Hollywood side of it and that it was mm-hmm. made after a movie but um yeah I mean it would be interesting if like if the all-star game just for a year they decided like LA is the perfect city yeah to that's the that perfect in. test because there's so many things you can do with it like imagine right. like if MLB like partnered with a bunch of like movie like companies and they had like they had like imagine if Ken Rosenthal, Tom Verducci had like costumes based on certain movies that they like wore onto the field. Right. Yeah. Like I don't know. I'm trying to think. What it, are some like good movies that you? It can, would be hard to um, repeat that. Like I, I wonder what they would have done in in Denver this year uh, with with that city. Right. I mean, like the thing that comes to mind is the mountains, obviously. But I mean, if you're gonna like, I know MLB can be creative with this stuff. I think they could figure out a way. And I mean, they have the perfect testing ground next year. Oh yeah, they can certainly do better than uh, a commercial where a baggage handler is talking about home runs like they did this past year. Oh, that was brutal. That was. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I will say that one commercial with all the players like in the cars, like that was cool. But yeah. find a way to incorporate it into the game itself. Yeah, that baggage handler. I like. I know they can do it. Yeah, that baggage handler, like, if you were watching ML, any MLB game uh, a month leading up to the All-Star game, it was, it came up, like, five times each game. It was game. so brutal. And, yeah. man, it did not get better any of the times. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, um, yeah, they, they can do better. L.A. would be the perfect uh, city to experiment with that. Um, what would they have done with Atlanta? With Atlanta, I mean, that'd, that'd be a tough one. Pre, pre controversy. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, 
that's the thing with me. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know too much about our country, just in general. Like Atlanta, Atlanta has a big hip hop scene. I know that you could you could have done a something with that. Have like, what is Atlanta known for? I would say uh, I guess I guess peaches, right? Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, but L A would be definitely the perfect. Yeah, L A is the perfect testing ground. Yeah, and then. You know, I don't know what you follow it up with. Um, but I, you know what? I mean, it's not it's not our job to figure it out. Yeah. But then it would be brutal when they go to Boston and every stereotype that we hear about. Is just, Honestly, I'm cool with it. Like, if, 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 if it's nationally appealing, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah it would be obnoxious. Like, oh, we got chowder-flavored uniforms <laughs> or something like that. Like, ch- chowder-themed uniforms or something like that. You know, uh, that'd, be, that'd be tough. They just do it. They just make all their assumptions off of a uh, Goodwill Hunting. It's like, yeah, uh, they're all geniuses that are janitors. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a great. It's the all-star game. They have Harvard uniforms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, good job on. So good job to. Sometimes we do it sarcastically, but actually a good job on Major League Baseball. For, yeah, we very rarely get to say that, but Major League Baseball knocks it out of the park with this one. Yeah, and Rob Manfred announced that it's going to be back next year. It's got to be. It's got to be. I mentioned. I mentioned this to you off camera. This would never happen. But imagine if next year the game was Orioles Twins and they had St. Louis Browns versus Washington Senators uniforms. Right. Like, yeah, you gotta have. You gotta have the dead ball team. You know, obviously, no that matchup isn't appealing because both of them are pretty bad. Yeah, but it'd be cool. Yeah, and we were saying like, you know, obviously they would just. They would be the league to just follow this up with uh, raised D-backs, te- teams with no real historical background. They'll they weren't have... even around when Field of Dreams came out. Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, RIP to the two teams that are going to have to follow this yeah. uh, next year. Because I was thinking, like, if they, like, they can't do that same pregame ceremony next year, can they? I mean, I guess they could, but it's not going to be as cool. Um, like Kevin Costner coming out of the of the oh yeah no, like they can't do that. Every out year. A, they got to figure out another way to to do it, and they're gonna have to keep doing it every single year because there's no way they're just gonna you know, they're just gonna ever stop doing this now that they've already established it. Yeah, I don't know if they. Yeah, I don't know if they can do that that ceremony repeatedly. I mean, they're gonna have games there, and people are gonna be interested for that reason. But yeah, uh, you're not gonna get the same reaction that you did. The first time it happened you know if you watch a movie the second time it's not the same as the first time yeah um so yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how the mlb market markets this for when it's not completely new uh and when it's uh when it's a thing that happens annually and happens every year you kind of know what to expect so we'll uh we'll see how major league baseball handles that so uh, yeah, a serious shout out to them. Not not sarcastic, you know. Yeah. Good on them for getting this going. Um, the last bit of news to talk about. Um, speaking of, you know the the uh, Tyler Gilbert, he no hit the Padres the day after Fernando Tatis Jr. came back uh, from his injury with his left shoulder uh, subluxation. And he is in something we didn't address, but it was a kind of a new story probably in the last episode, or by the time the last episode came out. But he was playing right field yesterday and he's going to be playing outfield for pretty much the rest of the year. Apparently it's to, um, you know, take stress off of his left shoulder, which um, I get. I guess it makes sense if you're not reaching down. It's not going to affect it as much. Um, maybe I, I haven't got... I don't know the full details about it, but, um, you know, Padres continuously going to be throwing out pretty interesting lineups for sure. This is completely uh, off topic, but I just found out Fernando Tatis Jr. is slugging, is slugging 795 on fastballs this year. Interesting. Yeah. That is crazy. That is yeah. insane. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, he's playing right field. You know the the 
the rich get richer with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, coming back. I have to go back to see what the yeah. lineup was yesterday. Out, I mean, I like, they're going to need him because the Padres, I think, are only, like, three games up in the wild card. I mean, realistically, they're, they're definitely not catching the Giants, and they're probably not catching the Dodgers either. So, I mean, their best bet is going on the road for the wild card game right now, and they, even that's not a guarantee. So they're going to need Fernando to come back and be Fernando, regardless of if he's a shortstop or a right fielder. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, so I think we've talked about how – Will Myers was kind of the odd man out after the Frazier trade because obviously they weren't going to bench Hosmer because of the money that he's making. Um, so, yeah, Myers ended up being the odd man out yesterday. Not necessarily saying he's going to be the odd man out uh, continuously, but, yeah, Tatis playing right field. Um, it, it does remind me, actually, that the Padres – starting rotation has been kind of underwhelming like they i looked it up yeah it has well you darvish just went on the il yeah um and uh the i went to fan graphs and saw their 10th the 10th in the national league in starter era so i mean if, if you're thinking like why might the Padres be slightly underperforming it's probably the starting rotation because they were expected to be like a top five rotation in baseball especially after the acquisitions they made, but uh, they've been disappointed. But, I mean, the I think, you know, with the with Tatis going to right field, um, I mean, I think, I think we kind of went over it. Like, Myers just seems to be kind of the odd man out now. Yeah, he does. Shout out to um, my player to watch. Yeah. Uh, Cronenworth seems to have... Uh, made himself comfortable at shortstop, which is interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been uh, doing pretty well defensively. Uh, and, you know, he's made, you know, Don Orsillo, shout out to him. He's he's made the crone zone uh, pretty. Yep. Uh, hit it, you can hit it wherever you want, but you can't hit it to the crone zone. He's made it a pretty widespread, <laughs> a pretty widespread uh, saying. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Tatis gonna be in the outfield for the rest of the year. Uh, should be interesting to see how that uh, happens. Is you know he'll probably you know he's a very good athlete. He'll probably do uh, just okay. He's got a good arm, um, and yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I wonder, you know, you, you hope nothing bad happens in a big moment where a regular outfielder would have done something that Tatis Jr. couldn't have been able to do. You hope that doesn't exactly. happen. Um, but, you know, just got to put him somewhere. It, it reminds – it also reminds me, like, we got to get this DH rule in. Oh, like, yes, we do. Yes, we absolutely do. We can't have these log jams within San Diego where it's like – I think Eric Hosmer was saying, like, he feels like the odd man out, and I guess I kind of get it. But, I mean, yeah. like, that's tough. Yeah, we need to get that in. ASAP next year. Because I'm wondering if if Tati if if this was last year, and Tatis came back, is he in the DH or is it someone else? I'm not sure. I mean, they, uh, are you going to put a 23 year old full time as the DH? Like, I find that hard to believe. Well, it's it's uh, as you mentioned, it's a it's a short it's a shorter term thing. You know, it's only going to be for. It is a shorter term thing, but like, I mean, I'm hoping by next year. Uh, he's, his arm, his shoulder is much better because there's been procedures done to it to ensure that it won't pop out anymore. Yeah, and now that I think about it, I think the there's more risk of the the two times he's injured it uh, this year. It's been well on offense, whether it be on the bases or hitting. It hasn't been an issue in the field, but yeah, still you don't want to risk it in the field. Just a couple thoughts there. Um, all right, so do we want to get into our players to highlight? Let's do it. Um, all right. So now for our Monday, August 16th, 2021 edition of... Who do you have for us today? My how about that is someone who has been an unsung hero... Uh, in an otherwise perennially struggling unit. 
I actually just realized this guy's been playing professional baseball since he was 16. Because uh, I'm looking at his fan graphs through the minor leagues and major leagues, and it started since 2012. So I was like, oh, if he's been in the minor since 2012, probably a bit old. No, he's 25. Talking about Ranger Suarez of the ah. Philadelphia Phillies, we are knocking a team off the list. Uh, I'm doing it for the second straight show, and I promise this isn't an attempt to just knock a team off the list. Because Ranger Suarez is very deserving of a how about that. He is a 107 ERA for the Phillies this year, both as a starter and as a reliever. And after, and he's the probable starter for Philadelphia on Wednesday in Arizona. And doing so, uh, he will become the first Phillies pitcher since Ed Farmer in 1982 to have four starts and four saves in a season. Uh, a big factor for his dominance this year has been with his sinker, which is his primary pitch. He throws at 48.9% of the time. Uh, hitters are batting 139 against it with a 152 slugging percentage in 89 plate appearances. And it is just one of 14 pitches in all of baseball to have a negative 14 run value. Uh, and I don't mean pitchers, I mean pitches. His sinker is one of 14 pitches in baseball. among the, And among the 944 pitches to have, who have accumulated 50 plate appearances throughout the year, uh, out of those 944, Ranger Suarez's sinker is tied for 7th in run value per 100 pitches. What that means is... For every 100 pitches that, for every 100 sinkers that that Ranger Suarez throws, he's preventing about 3.8 runs from scoring, which sounds ridiculous, but that's what it is. Every time he throws 100 sinkers, it prevents about 3.8 runs from scoring based on the results that he's getting. That is tied for seventh among the 944 pitches who have accumulated 50 plate appearances, and his changeup also ranks 49th in run value per 100 pitches, making him one of just two pitchers in the majors to have two pitches in the top 55 of run value per 100. So that is Ranger Suarez. There we go, Ranger Suarez. Very interesting stuff with the pitch-specific statistics there. Uh, We're all all still learning about these things, but yeah, the um, 3.8 runs being prevented per 100 pitches thrown on the sinker um very very interesting stuff uh you know one of the most effective pitches in baseball you would uh yeah you'd say there's a case yeah and uh shout out to the mets you know we weren't gonna we weren't gonna do a how about that on jacob degrom obviously (laughs) we had we had separate segments on him uh (laughs) i you know, Taiwan Walker was doing well. I guess the expected stats, we were kind of iffy on. I mean, Stroman's done well, but, you know, the Mets are the last team we're going to be doing a how about that for. Yeah. So they're the last team on the list. I believe the Phillies, like, this is the first time we've done one ever. Like, I don't think we did a Philly last season, and we hadn't done one this season until Ranger Suarez. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I don't think we did a Philly. Last. I, there's not one that I can recall. Uh, Neither can I. So, yeah. Good on them. Uh, they're in second place right now. I think one game back. The Braves. The Braves are <laughs> the Braves are in first place. How about yep. that? Um, but that's another uh, conversation. My how about that uh, is uh, on another generally strug- struggling team. We talked about how this rotation has had some big health problems. Um, but this guy is, is doing his best to kind of uh, counteract that. And uh, we actually talked about him. Uh, he, was, he was in a, a segment last year because of a, a big trade he was in. He was in the Mike Clevenger deal, and he's what uh, Cleveland brought back. He's probably the headliner of what Cleveland was able to bring back. Uh, Cal Quantrill, in the second half, he has a league-leading 1.25 ERA in 36 innings pitch. Uh, a lot of this has to do with how hard guys are hitting, uh, how hard uh, guys are hitting the ball against him. In the first half, his average exit velocity against was 87.8 miles per hour, and his hard hit rate against was 39%. In the second half, his average exit velocity against is 82.0 miles per hour, and his hard hit rate is 27%. That's a 5.8 mile an hour difference. Uh, on the average exit velocity and a 12% difference on the hard hit rate. Uh, and the average hard hit rate is about 35%. So 
He's been eight percentage points below that in the second half. And of the 144 pitchers with 50 batted balls against in the second half, Quantrill has the fourth lowest average exit velocity against and the seventh lowest hard hit rate against. So Cal Quantrill. Uh, been, stuff, uh, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, when you when you uh, called my name, I thought the biggest nightmare, the biggest nightmare ever is that you uh, actually did a how about that on Cal's Grand Trail like a couple weeks oh, ago. <laughs> no, I did not. Yeah, I, you know, I did. Uh, I did make one flub where I thought I crossed another team off the list mm-hmm. uh, a few episodes back, and it was the and it was the reigning MVP. Yeah, and it was the reigning MVP. <laughs> that that makes it even worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I did make it a, an ARR comeback special, but yeah, still, it's the MVP. You expect me to come back. Um, yeah, that not my best moment there. But uh, now we go to some uh, other other players or subjects that are not having their best moments, but we go from the highest of the lows, talking about players or subjects that have been underperforming. So now for our August 16th, 2020, 2021 edition of slightly alarming uh who do you got for us today so i'm doing something that i feel like i've been doing a lot lately i'm sticking within the same division for my how about that am i slightly alarming uh this is this is not exactly a recent trend this is something that's been going on for a longer period of time i'm talking about victor robles because he was a consensus top five prospect in baseball when he came up through the national system you know in i think pre-2019 it was like shohei otani uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Victor Robles. Like, I think it was like that. Mm-hmm. And we just, we haven't really seen it from him. He had a two and a half win season in 2019 at, a, at age 22. And, you know, we thought that was only the beginning from him. And he hasn't really had much better of a season since. Uh, since the start of 2020, he is slashing 213, 307, 311 with a 618 OPS. Among the 155 hitters with at least 500 plate appearances since 2020. Robles has a 70 weighted runs created plus, which ranks fifth last, and a 311 slugging and a negative 0.5 F4, which both rank second to last. And when Robles was in the minors, the highest strikeout rate he had with any team in a season, uh, minimum 25 plate appearances, was 18.3%. He was never striking out more than that in any tenure he had through the minors. Through 340 career major league games, his Strikeout percentage is 23.4%, 5% higher than it was in the minors. And this season, this is probably the most interesting one. This season, uh, he actually has a career-high hard hit rate with, I believe, 26.9%. Still third percentile in the league with his, with his highest yet. So, I don't, obviously, I'm not giving up on Victor Robles yet. He's still 24. He can figure it out whenever he needs to. But at what point do we start thinking... This guy was a top five prospect in baseball. When are we going to start seeing that? Right, uh, Victor Robles. Slightly alarming. Um, he was he was my uh, 2020 uh, Nationals player to watch. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we definitely expected a, a lot more out of him. I was thinking, you know, I was as you were saying, I, like 2019, just the beginning. He's going to be, you know, uh, someone who is going to be doing it all around. You know offense defense on the bases uh i that's what i was thinking for uh for 2020 from victor robles but hasn't yeah, been i, I mentioned put... i mentioned the uh the negative 0.5 f4 since 2020 like how much worse would that be could that be if he wasn't an elite defender oh yeah i mean a 70 weighted runs created plus over 531 plate appearances yeah basically that's... a whole season yeah that he would be definitely a, a full win under placement for sure yeah yeah uh something something to be aware of there with uh victor robles yeah nationals haven't had a great luck in the past few years with prospects with robles and uh kaiboom or kiboom kiboom's been a little little better lately though that's that's good to hear um but (laughs) that guy uh he's a Kiboom has a 101 OPS plus this year. He's at least above average. He's slashing 261, 342, 377. Yeah, luckily, uh, luckily that Juan Soto guy uh, worked out all right. Yeah, a lot. 
he's 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 done well. Um, now, uh, for my slightly alarming, uh, he was mentioned a little bit before in the show, and uh, it's kind of weird to bring him up because he did just go on the IL, but you know this is his second IL stint, and um, his his struggles have been going on for for a little bit, and I don't know if it has to do entirely with what his uh, health is, but he's been able to make most of his starts. Uh, you Darvish, uh, in his last seven starts, he has a 7.13 ERA and a 5.48 FIP in 35 and a third innings pitched. Uh, among the 99 pitchers with 30-plus innings pitched since July 3rd, his ERA ranks last. Uh, he has given up 11 home runs in the seven-start span, which are tied for the fourth most allowed uh, in this span. Also before the span, uh, his barrel rate against was 5.6%, and in the span, his barrel rate against is 11.9%, so it's more than doubled. And specifically, against his four-seam fastball, his barrel rate against is 30%. There's been 20 batted balls against his uh, fastball in the span. Six of them have been barrels. That's 30%. And <clears throat> you may think, you know, on a, on a four-seam fastball, usually across the league, uh, barrel rates are going to be inflated against that pitch because it's, you know, the pitch that moves the least. It's more of a strike pitch. But uh, that is true, but it's not that by that much. The league average barrel rate against four-seam fastballs this year is 10.2%. Uh, U Darvish in his last seven starts against the forcing fastball barrel rate is 30%, almost triple uh, the league average on that pitch. So uh, U Darvish uh, getting getting a slightly alarming, and uh, maybe maybe his health has a little bit to do with that. And maybe his IL stint will um, solve things, but not what you're looking for as a uh, as a Padres fan, no matter what. Uh, uh, so I have a few things to say about you, Darvish. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you highlighted him because I had been looking at doing it doing him for months because he just hasn't really been performing well throughout the, kind of the whole year. But uh, he would be the third Padres pitcher that I highlighted on slightly alarming, so I didn't feel like doing that. <laughs> Second of all, uh, all this time he's been struggling, and you highlighted him on you highlighted him on his birthday. That's tough. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happy 35th birthday, you Darvish. You've been Happy really struggling lately. Happy birthday. In your, your gift is being featured on Above Replacement Radio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, another thing, uh, you know it's bad for you, Darvish, when uh, Baseball Reference no longer recognizes him as the all-time strikeouts per nine leader. Oh, wow. Yeah, it... Chris Sale has it now. Nice. Even though they both have 11.1 strikeouts per nine. Yeah. Uh, all downhill for Darvish uh, in, in the, um, yeah, in, in the past uh, seven starts. I mean, he started out decently, but then, yeah, he's had a, he's had a rough stretch that's been going on about a couple, eh, six weeks, not, not a couple months yet, but about six weeks. Um, but yeah, you, uh, yeah, you doing another Padres starter would be like me doing another, I think, Yankees position player. I think I've done three Yankees position players at yep. this point. Lemayhew, Frazier, and uh, someone else. I'm not quite thinking of, but yeah, it would be it would be tough. Um, all right, so now we get into uh, the preview of the week ahead, um, where you know I talk about the series to watch. Daniel goes over the day by day uh, matchups. And by the way, my one, one spoiler for the day-by-day -day, uh, matchups, my how about that for this week? Uh, Cal Quantrill is pitching tonight, Monday. So uh, if you want to check that out, he's facing the Twins. But that's all I'll say on that. Uh, so I think the series to watch um, in terms of, you know, the competitive you know, competitive juices might be flowing. It's a, it's a rematch of the playoffs from last year except this will be happening in uh, the other ballpark. It's going to be White Sox Athletics. Uh, some okay pitching matchups in this one. It's a three-game series. Both have the exact same record at 68 and 50. Uh, the Athletics are trending pretty well at the moment. 
Uh, tonight you have uh, Dallas Keuchel versus Frankie Montas. Tuesday night you have Ronaldo Lopez uh, versus Chris Bassett. And Wednesday at uh, 2 o'clock, I believe. Um, or is it 2 o'clock? Or is it 8 o'clock? At 8 o'clock, it's going to be Lance Lynn versus Cole Irvin. And, oh, I lied. It's not a three-gamer. It's a four-gamer. Uh, on Thursday, where we're going to be also recording, at 2 o'clock, you have Dylan Seas versus James uh, Caprillion. So that is, uh, that is the most competitive series to watch for this upcoming week. Uh, what do you got for day-by-day matchups? Yeah, so starting tonight on Monday, Garrett Cole makes his return from the COVID IL. He starts in the makeup game against the Angels. That is a one-gamer at Yankee Stadium uh, because the final game of the series got rained out beforehand and the Angels had to go back home. So they didn't have time to play another game in New York. Uh, you have Tuki Tucson going tonight against Braxton Garrett, both very young pitchers who, you know, haven't exactly been great, but, you know, there's always room for potential. You have Chris's How About That, Cal, Cal Quantrill, going for the Cleveland Baseball Club. You have uh, Kevin Gosman going tonight for the Giants. And then my match for the night, definitely an interesting one, Justin Steele of the Cubs versus Wade Miley of the Reds. Justin Steele has been getting a lot of attention lately. Uh, as a possible up-and-coming arm in the Cubs rotation. And Wade Miley, obviously, uh, has been pitching very well this year as a whole. So on Tuesday, you have uh, Alec Manoa going for the Blue Jays against the Nationals. You have uh, John Means going for the Orioles against Tampa Bay. You have Sandy Alcantara going for the Marlins against the Braves. You have Spencer Howard, uh, pitching for the Rangers. Is he making his... You have a pair of... uh, of acquisitions going against each other with Tyler Anderson going for the Mariners against Spencer Howard for the Rangers. I don't know if that's uh, Howard's first Rangers start or not. Hmm. You have Framber Valdez going for the Astros against Kansas City. You have Chris Bassett versus Ronaldo Lopez in A's White Sox, like Chris mentioned. You have Herman Marquez going for the Colorado Rockies at home. You have Marcus Stroman versus Logan Webb. It's an interesting matchup uh, for Mets Giants. You have Kyle Gibson going for the Phillies. You have David Price going for the Dodgers. And then matchup of the day, uh, I would say, is Corbin Burns versus Adam Wainwright in Brewers-Cardinals. A very old-school versus new-school matchup in St. Louis. That'll be an interesting one. And then last but not least, on Wednesday, you have Tyler Male going for the Reds against the Cubs. You have Zach Plezak, one of my slightly alarmings, recently going for Cleveland. You have uh, Anthony DiSclefani going for the Giants against the Mets, uh, you have, uh, ooh, okay, I'll save that one for later. You have Shohei Otani going for the Angels against the Tigers in Detroit. You have Charlie Morton going for the uh, Braves against the Marlins. You have Jose Barrios versus Josiah Gray. That's like basically the all-pitching ninja matchup in uh, Blue Jays and Nationals. Right, all-trade deadline matchup. Yeah, yep. You have Marco Gonzalez going for the Mariners. That's uh, He's been doing much better lately. You have Zach Grinke going for the Astros. Cole Irvin versus Lance Lynn. You have Ranger Suarez. My how about that going on Wednesday for the Phillies. And then match for the day comes to us again from Brewers and Cardinals. You have Freddie Peralta versus Jack Flaherty. Uh, Jack Flaherty might like lead the National League in wins while missing two months. Oh, really? How he's 9-1. 9-1. Nine, nine and 9-1. Uh, yeah. I, I think Arias has 13. He could and, catch uh, him. He could, yeah. Flirty definitely could catch him um, if, if all goes well. Yep. Yeah. Fun thing about, uh, funny thing about Marco Gonzalez. Uh, so when I did the Jameson tie on, how about that? He had, he led in a certain span in uh, pop ups induced. And then I went to make an Instagram post. Uh, the next day with and Marco uh, Gonzalez with, had passed him. Marco Gonzalez had passed him. He had, yeah. he had the most pop-ups induced uh, over this um, five, six week span. So shout out to him. Uh, all right. We hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, we hope, uh, yeah. If you're listening on, on Apple podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. It's called above replacement radio. 
uh, check out the playlist too. We've got uh, the history series there where it is kind of optimal to uh, watch it on YouTube. Uh, also, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio to uh, get those kinds of stat graphics and uh, all the updates from, from the show. Uh, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you on Thursday where we're going to be talking about all the ongoings of Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over. <laughs>